Please turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 2. Uh, we're going to continue our series of that. And by way of just an introduction uh, to Exodus chapter 2, Abraham Lincoln, uh, uh, on, in 1863, assigned a proclamation of a day of humiliation, of fasting and prayer. And I just want to give you a little excerpt from the speech that he gave. He said, we have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with bro unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming the preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. Wow, those are some powerful words. Uh, but when all is said and done, it's not our abilities, it's not our wisdom, it's not our talents, it's not these things that make a difference for the Lord in this world, but the condition of our heart. And so we're going to see a man named Moses today who's going to go through a huge transition in his heart. And uh, if we are humble and we cry out to God, then we at that point become usable. But if we're proud and we're self-reliant and we're just going to make this thing happen in our own strength, we're going to see that causes all kinds of problems. So before we jump into it, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that that you desire to teach us, that you love us, that you desire to use us for your purposes. And a, lot, and a lot of times, Lord, we run ahead, we do things in our own strength, we try to do things with our own effort, we don't consult you, we don't pray to you, we don't try to, to, uh, to even do what you call us to do, we just do it and then ask you to bless it. And so, Lord, we pray this morning that you will help us to understand what it means to be a person of faith. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you look at Exodus chapter 2, we're going to start with verse 1, and it, the first thing we're going to see is that a Hebrew child becomes an Egyptian child. So a Hebrew child becomes an Egyptian child. Let's look at chapter 2, verse 1. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman, and the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. When she couldn't hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with uh, bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. And now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. And while her young woman walked beside the river, she saw the basket among the weeds and sent for her servant, for her servant woman, and she took it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. And she took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. And then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse for the Hebrew woman to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And so the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you some wages. I will give you your wages. And so the woman took the child and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, 
and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. So you have uh, this man and his wife of the house of Levi. As an act of faith, they have a child in this horrible time. Let me just remind you of what's going on. The setting is you have uh, the Hebrew people have been enslaved by the Egyptians. They are making bricks. They're under this oppression. oppression. Uh, there's slavery. Uh, and then there's also the command that's been given by the Pharaoh that when a male child is born, he's to be cast into the Nile. And so this is the environment in which this child is born. And so the Bible tells us that it was an act of faith because I think it would have been very easy for parents to go, you know what, now is not the best time to bring a child into this world. Have you ever heard that? I've heard that in my day. I don't want to bring a child into this horrible world. Look how horrible the world is. But this, it tells us in Genesis chapter 1, that this man and his wife from the house of Levi, as an act of fate, had a child in this horrible time. And it says, and God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. And so they are seeking to obey, to have faith in God, in spite of all the world's darkness and despair, which would be very easy to point to in their time. And so then God commends them later. If you remember in Hebrews chapter 11, we call that the chapter of faith, the examples of faith. And so you have by faith, and you have this whole list of people. Well, Moses' parents are mentioned in that list. Hebrews chapter 11, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. And so by faith they said, you know what, the Lord has told us to be fruitful and multiply. No matter what the situation, we're going to try to be fruitful and multiply, and they did. Then, verse 3, she took for him a basket. The author is very specific about the word that he uses for basket. It's the same word as ark, as in Noah and the ark. And that word is only used twice, the ark and with Moses. And so he's very specific in the word that he uses. So she takes this, uh, this, this uh, she creates a basket or she gets a basket, which the author calls an ark, and they line it with pitch and they make it waterproof. And they take this waterproof basket to the Nile. So God gave or saved Moses in the same way that he saved Noah, a savior being rescued from drowning. The ark was the vessel of salvation for them. And so then in verse 3, she took for him a basket, daubed it with pitch, she put, it, uh, put the child in it, placed it among the reeds of the river bank. And so the salvation of God's people was tucked away in a tiny basket and gently placed amongst the reeds. The child was exposed, he was delicate, he was fragile, but he was never in any real danger. That's hard for us to get our minds around because God was with him and it was God's plan. And the baby Moses was never safer than when he was in that basket. If you were right in the center of God's plan for your life, there's no absolute need for you to be afraid, no matter what the situation is. You have these Levite parents. They are surrounded by horror that's beyond even our comprehension of what it would have been like to live in that day. And they said, by faith, they had a child. And so they said, if I'm doing what God has called me to do, there is no need to have fear. And the way I think of this, it's like a hurricane. If you've ever been in a hurricane, what happens is you have this huge, like, push of wind and rain and lightning and thunder and it's just it's just it's just it's a storm right and so you bunker down and then almost instantaneously everything is quiet right 
and the, and the wind stops, the rain stops, because at that moment, where are you? You're in the eye of the hurricane. You're right in the middle, right in the center. And then a few minutes later, that hurricane will keep moving, and the wind and the rain and it all comes back. So the safest place in the hurricane is right in the middle. And so what we have is this couple, and they've said, Lord, we want to do whatever it is you called us to do. And somehow, which we aren't privy to, we don't know, God had told this couple what to do. He told mom what to do. Told, told mom what to do and tell the daughter. Tell the daughter to say this when this happens and all of that stuff. But the baby Moses was never safer than when he was in the basket. Moses was far safer when mom pushed him into the water than had she tried to keep him close. So imagine your mom, right? She for three months has kept this baby quiet, but he keeps getting louder. He keeps crying. He's so doggone healthy, right? If you've ever heard a baby cry like that, it's ear piercing. Like it's very loud. And so she's like, shh, 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 for three months, shh, shh, shh. She just can't do it anymore, right? She realizes I can't keep this baby safe. I have to give him up. I think a lot of times uh, that's part of God's plan for us too as parents, as leaders, as whatever. There's going to be times in which you have to say, I can't keep this safe any longer. The safest thing is for me to hand this over to the Lord and his plan. And that's what he does. That's what they do. They take this, this child, they place him in the basket, and they're not afraid of the king's edict because it was God's plan to save their son. It was also God's plan to save the nation. So the Pharaoh's daughter ignores, so right, she comes to the edge, but she ignores her father's order to kill all the Hebrew males. And she even acknowledges that this is a Hebrew child, right? She says, this is one of the Hebrews' children. She knows it's a Hebrew's child. She ignores Pharaoh's command and eventually adopts the boy, names him Moses, as her own son. This reminds us that salvation that was to come was not only for God's people, the Hebrew people, it was for all the people. It was for anyone that put their faith in the one true God. You didn't have to be a Hebrew. You could be any nationality. It didn't matter. It was putting your faith in the one true God. We actually see in Exodus chapter 12 when they are exiting, when they're leaving, it says, and the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. In verse 38, a mixed multitude also went up with them. That's the Hebrew people. That's the Egyptian people that have joined in. They've mixed in with them. Those are people that have put their faith in the one true God. And so God had given Moses' mother's plan. She told the sister to stay close by. When the infant was discovered, to ask Pharaoh's daughter to help her find a nursemaid, which she did. And by design, his own mother was even paid to take care of the boy. That's amazing, right? God's working all of those things out. And Moses' mother was able to freely take care of her son, for about three months, and then she, or for three, for three months, she kept it hidden. For three years, she keeps it in her household. So for about three years, mom has the opportunity to, to teach this boy all the things of God that she possibly can in that three-month time period. Moses was a type of redeemer. It was one who was pointed God's people toward the forward to a future, a true and ultimate redeemer, as we know, is Jesus. Moses is pointing us to that. Jesus' birth was very similar to Moses' birth and events and things that went on. I believe God did all that by design. But at the end of this section, what we see is that he became her son, and she named him Moses. 
the Hebrew infant boy now becomes the adopted child of Pharaoh's daughter. And at three years old, he becomes an Egyptian. That's important for us to get in the story. You need to understand that he was a Hebrew child, but at this point in his life, now he is an Egyptian. He's going to think like an Egyptian. He's going to act like an Egyptian. He's going to be educated like an Egyptian. It's for, all sake, for all purposes, other than he may have looked a little bit different, he was Egyptian. He's been adopted. He would have had the best food. He would have had the best clothing. He would have had the best education. He would have had the best housing. Everything that was the best and everything of what it meant to be an Egyptian, he would have experienced it. And so then we go to the next section, which is the Egyptian man acts like an Egyptian, right? If you raise a child a certain way, wouldn't you expect that child to behave a certain way? Absolutely. Look at verse 11. And one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and he looked on their burdens and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? And he answered, uh, who made you prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And then Moses was afraid and he thought, surely the thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian and he sat down by a well. In order to understand what's going on, it's helpful. Other passages of Scripture help us understand what's going on. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 7. This is, the, uh, this is the martyr Stephen. He's given an account. He's kind of given a historical account of God's people. And so we're going to jump into that section in verse 20. Because this is what Moses is like before Exodus chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. In this passage, Exodus chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, Moses' life changes big time and we need to understand why what's going on here all right so it says at this time Moses was born and he was a beautiful in God's sight and he was brought up for three months in his father's house and when he was exposed as we laid out by the river Pharaoh's daughter and adopted daughter brought him up as her own son which we know right we know this about that's that's just the same account but look what Stephen adds and Moses was instructed in all wisdom of the Egyptians. Best education, best food, best, best everything. And he was mighty in words and deeds. This is before verse 14 and 15. Right? When Moses goes down to talk to these, to these slave people. My people, I have come. He goes down to judge them. Right? He goes down and says, he's got these two guys and they're fighting. He is described as great and mighty and deeds a running theme throughout the book of Exodus is this comparison of two ways two gods two cultures competing to see who is truly the most powerful what is the best way what is the one true way for three months the baby Moses was hidden by his mother then for about three or four years he was raised by his mother and was able to be able to teach him and all of the Hebrew things about the one true God but then for the rest of his life 37 years he received Egyptian everything and as an adopted child he would have been he would have grown up in this Egyptian culture so now go back to Acts chapter 7 verse 23 and when he was 40 years old 
it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them wronged, he, def he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. And he supposed, now this is important to get, he supposed that his brothers would understand and God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. Moses, at 40 years of old, went down. He wanted his people to be free. He wanted them to follow him, but he made one huge mistake. He was trusting in his mighty words and deeds. Instead of following him, they said, Who made you prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill us as you killed the Egyptian? Moses is using Egyptian strength. He's using Egyptian words. He's using Egyptian deeds. He struck down the Egyptian and he hid them in the sand. The way of salvation for God's people is not to trust in the Egyptian ways. You see, Moses, is, he's Egyptian. He's fully Egyptian. And so the way he's going to free his people is the Egyptian way. The Egyptian way is might and power and, and mighty words and mighty deeds. Behold how great I am. Follow me. It doesn't work. Moses thought that he thought like an Egyptian. He acted like an Egyptian. And he thought that the people would follow these Egyptian ways. Even though it was the Egyptians that had enslaved them. And so we go through life, right? Let's face it, it's tough. Uh, oftentimes it's very difficult we get sick we lose our job we don't get the promotion we think we should have gotten we struggle with debt and so on, on and on and on we all have different things that we struggle with but how do we engage that struggle Moses thinks that you should engage with Egyptian strength with Egyptian words uh, with Egyptian deeds that's how you handle life you do it but by the Egyptian way but it's not engaging the world as God would have us engage the world. He's not engaging the people as God would have him engage the people. God's way and the world's way are different. And so in the conflict between these two fighting Hebrew men, Moses steps in to mediate. And the word that's used there is the focus is on justice. His heart is to step into this and to see that justice is done between these two men. The Hebrew man says, who made you prince over us? The truth is, no one did. No one made this man, uh, no one asked him to go down there and judge between these men. Nobody asked this guy to do anything. Why is it that he suddenly thinks that he should lead? Because he's mighty in words and deeds. Obviously how good looking I am. Because uh, he's been called fair twice in the text so far. Right? I'm good looking. I'm strong. I've eaten well, which probably means I'm bigger than everybody else, right? I've got the best clothes. I'm wealthy. Behold my greatness. Follow me. That's the problem. And they say, no, thank you. We're not going to follow you. And he doesn't understand. Don't you understand that I'm the best? Don't you understand that I'm far more educated than all of you peon slaves? Don't you see how mighty I am? Can't you see how well-dressed I am? Can't you look and behold me? You should follow me. I am the best. Wow. And they say, no, thank you. Who made you king over us? Nobody. And it rocks his world. You got to understand, in his brain, 
I'm going to go down amongst the slaves, and I shall lead them. Behold! And, he's, and he does this thing, and he gets out there, and he, he, he says, let's go. Let's go rebel. Let's defeat Egypt. Yay! And nobody follows him. And he's like, I don't get it. I'm the best of all of you. Why would you not follow me? The Hebrew man the Hebrew man used Moses' decision to kill the man as a threat against him, right? Do you mean to kill us as you killed the Egyptian? That's a, that's a, like, that's a cut, right? So this Hebrew guy, he knows he's got some information on Moses, and he's going to use it against him. You're going to kill us like you killed that guy over there in the sand that you buried yesterday? That guy that's, that's probably still right there. I bet I could dig him up, and he's right there. You're going to kill us like you killed that guy right there? Of course, Moses at that point becomes very much afraid, and he runs. This failure and bad decision rocked Moses to the core of who he was as a man. Remember, he's 40 years old at this point. He became afraid. He was filled with self-doubt. He abandoned any thoughts of leadership, rebelling against Egypt, and even being a part of the liberation of his people. He abandons it all. He runs into the wilderness, and he hides, and he wants it, it, all he wants is just to disappear. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but it probably will eventually. If you stand up and you go, Behold how great I am! It's a coming. That ground's about to fall out from underneath your feet. And it did for him. And, he's like, and it, rocks, it rocks his world. Look at Exodus chapter 4. God is going to come to Moses eventually. Right? He comes to him in the burning bush. We'll get to that soon. He has a conversation with Moses. He said, look, I want you to be the leader. I'm going to send you in. This is what I want you to say. Look how Moses responds. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord. Oh, my Lord. I am not eloquent. Either in the past... That's 40 years ago when I tried to lead a rebellion. Or since you have spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and tongue. He is not. But he thinks he is. I am slow of speech and tongue. That 40 years ago when I tried to lead that rebellion, nobody listened to me. Nobody followed me. And so I ran into the desert. If Moses had was ever to lead God's people, then he would have to stop being Egyptian and start being Hebrew. This is not a racial thing, it's a mindset. Also, God allowed Moses to try it God, Moses' way for 40 years, actually 80 years, before he was able to use him. You can't be Egyptian and lead God's people. You cannot lead God's people the world's way. You have to lead God's people God's way. And God's way is different than the world's way. You can't be lost and point people to Jesus. Right? It's not about words and eloquence and strength and looking good. It's not about any of that stuff. This, is what, this was the big mistake that Moses made. This was the failure, was that it was all about him and how he looked and how he presented himself and the words that he used and how he's going to influence the people. And It's all about him. 
One might even ask, well, if Moses had not killed the Egyptian, just to say hypothetically, let's just say Moses didn't make that one mistake, which is pretty big, murder is a pretty big mistake, right? If, I had not, if he had not made that one mistake, hid the body in the sand, it seemed as though Moses was destined to greatness. Best everything, looked great, had the best everything. Seems like he's going to be the man. Great, great backstory. His mom put him in a basket. You know, he could have probably played that off big time, right, when he's telling this story. When he's on the campaign stump and he's going around and he's going, you should follow me because, you know, back in the day I was in the basket. Like he could have, he could have really played that up. Was it this mistake that kept him out of leadership for so long? No. Moses' whole mindset had to change. How he thought about everything had to change. He had to learn what it means to be a follower of God before he could ever lead God's people. With Moses, we see that leadership is not about eloquence, physical strength, wealth, or power. It all comes down to two things. Identity, whose am I, and heart. Moses was not God's... Moses had nothing to do with God. He at no point ever consulted with God. He never heard from God. He just did his own thing. And his heart was all wrong. And so what does God do? What does God do to get Moses ready for leadership? Look at Hebrews, go back to Hebrews chapter 11. By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered that reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of earth, the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith is mentioned several times in that passage. What is it about Moses that God had to change? By faith. We see that Moses wanted to please God of, of his people. By faith, he rejected all the wealth, the power and that came with being Egyptian, and he slowly became Hebrew. It took time. Look at verse 16, because now we're going to see that the Egyptian man becomes a Hebrew man. Look at verse 16. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came out and draw water and filled the troughs of water their father's flock, to, to water their father's flock. The shepherds came out and drove them away. But Moses stood up and he saved them and he watered their flock. And when they came home to their father, Ruel, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? And they said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and drew and even drew water for us and watered the flock. And he said to his daughters, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat, that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son and called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. It takes another 40 years before God goes to Moses in the burning bush. The first 40 years were in Egypt. The second 40 years is while he's out in this wilderness. 80 years old at this point. Almost. We're not quite there yet. But God sends Moses to and he places him in a family that will help him remove his Egyptian way of thinking. We could grow, we could, he could grow to think like a Hebrew shepherd and not like an Egyptian warrior. He has to change how he thinks. 
God puts us in a church family. This is why church is so important. Because he puts us within a church family. And that family helps us chip away all those worldly things about us. Right? We, get, we gather together and we pray and we begin to realize there's certain things about us that need to change. I am totally thinking worldly. I am totally acting worldly. I need a Christian leader. I need someone, of, uh, to, godly people to surround me so that my mindset changes over time. We call that sanctification. Right? I change over time. Genesis 46, 34 says, For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. When Joseph was moving his family, he tells his brothers, look, don't tell them you're a shepherd, tell them this, because the Egyptians think that all shepherds are an abomination. The, the prince of Egypt, right? The highest, like he, uh, Moses had everything. He's totally Egyptian. Imagine how he thought about shepherds. And now what's he been doing? For 40 years, he's been a shepherd, right? God has to humble this man. Now, it's not, he's not Egyptian, but, but let's look what it says. This is, I think, another big point in his life. He names his son. Has a kid, he names the son. Look what he names the son. He says, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Another translation is, I'm a stranger in a strange land. Moses is lost. He's not Egyptian, but he's not accepted as a Hebrew. He's in the middle. He has the best education, the best training. He thought that he would be a great leader. And those who knew him said he was mighty in words and deeds, but he's gone through moving sheep around for 40 years. And it seems like that was a whole other life ago. He's, that mistake that I made has taken me out of the game. I'm out, right? And I don't want to do it. I'm, I'm, I'm just a shepherd. That's all I'm going to ever be for 40 years. And by the time that God speaks to Moses in chapter 3, his heart is humbled. You'll know, you'll know other things about Moses, like in Numbers chapter 12, when it's describing him. Now, the man Moses was very meek or humble. More than all people who were on the face of the earth. Moses is described later as being the humblest man on the planet. That's a mindset change, y'all. Y'all see that? Do you see what God did in Moses' life? From when he stood up and he said, follow me into rebellion because I'm the best. To now, he's described as being the most humble man on the entire planet. It took 40 years of God working on him before he was finally at a point to where God could use him. 40 years. He has to humble himself. So Moses... Uh, not only is humble, but he's racked with self-doubt. He doesn't think that he'll ever be of any use for God. He made this huge mistake, and that's it. He's done. He's a shepherd. He's an abomination. He's out on the pasture. He's done. In India, this just segue, is that you could go out into the like forest area and catch a monkey, and you could take that monkey to the market, and you could make money. So there's a whole market of guys that go out into the forest and catch monkeys. And do you know how they do it? They take a glass bottle that has a little tiny opening, and they take nuts, and they put nuts inside the bottle. And they attach the bottle to the tree. The monkey comes along, puts his hand into the bottle, grabs the nut, and when he goes to pull his hand out, he can't get his hand out. He's trapped. He's trapped. What does he have to do? 
to get out of the bottle. All the monkey has to do is let go of the nut and slip his hand back out. But the monkeys won't do it. They will not do it. They'll stick their hand into the bottle, they'll grab the nut, and they won't let it go. Even if it means death, they won't let it go. This is your life. You, you've made a mistake. We've all made mistakes. That's part of life. But if you hold on to that mistake, like you keep holding on to it, you're trapped. You're trapped. So does God want you to hold on to that forever? Is that what we see in Scripture? Is that what we see with Moses? When Moses reaches his hand in there and he kills a man. And he runs out into the wilderness. Is he trapped forever? Like, does he have, I mean, is he, is he done? He's done if he doesn't let go of it. The question is not whether God lets go of it or not. The question is whether Moses lets go of it or not. We know that God is a God of grace and mercy and forgiveness. We're going to have to wait till chapter 3 to see if he lets go of it or not. We're going to come back to that next week. But the last thing I want to point out is that God responds to the Hebrew people. Right? So you've got Moses, he's had this huge heart change, or he's in the process of having this huge heart change, and then we're cl- this section is kind of closed out with verse 23. During those days, the king of Egypt died. So the guy that was trying to, to kill Moses, he died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. I want you to just circle or highlight or whatever you do. How many times has God mentioned in these last couple of verses? Came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Whenever you see something repeated twice, you better pay attention. But if it's repeated again and again and again and again, the author is pounding a point to us. God is going to save his people. Moses is not going to save the people. God's getting him to a point to where he's going to be a tool that's going to be used by God as the deliverer. He's going to be the one that's going to stand before Pharaoh. He's going to be the one at the burning bush. He's going to be the person that God uses. But who is it that does the salvation? Who is it that does the deliverance? God. 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 At the very beginning... When you look at Moses, and and if you were to ask Moses, who's going to deliver these people? I am. No, you're not. And you can't even be used by God until you've been humbled. And so he goes to this this 40-year humbling process into where now he doesn't even want to lift. He he argues with God. He's like, God, you can't use me. I've failed in the past. I'm not, I'm not, I can't do this. I'm not strong. I'm, my words are, I just can't talk very well. You just, and God's got to basically lift him up, which he will. While Moses is in the wilderness hiding from all his mistakes and learning to be a follower of the one true God, God is preparing the day for him to return to Egypt. The king who wanted Moses dead, he's gone. God's name's repeated here just to highlight this idea that it's God that's doing the work. We are a tool that God uses, but it's God who does the work. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. And Lord, oftentimes, in our own pride and arrogance, 
we think that we are so much more than we actually are. And Lord, we're not actually able to even be used by you until we humble ourselves before you. And so, Lord, as a people, as your church, we want to do great things for you. Lord, it's our heart's desire to make a difference. It's our heart's desire to, to reach the community for you. But, Lord, forgive us in our own arrogance when we think that we do it ourselves, that it's not you going before us. And so, Lord, we humble ourselves before you. And, Lord, one of the greatest things that we have to do is to have a relationship with you. And so there may be someone in this room who doesn't know you, who's never had who's never asked for forgiveness of sin. They don't understand what it means to have a relationship with you. But, Lord, they want to. They want, they want to know, how, how can I be forgiven of my sin? How can I become a follower of the one true God? And the Bible tells us that Jesus came, that he lived a sinless life, that he died on a Roman cross, and when he did that, all of mankind's sin was placed upon him. He did this as a gift, Wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And we're told that if we put our faith in this gift that Jesus did for us, that we will be forgiven of our sin and that we could have a relationship with you. And so, friend, if that's you, if you're here and God's brought you here and you realize I need to have a relationship with Jesus, I need to be forgiven of my sin, you can say a prayer something like this to yourself. Dear Jesus, I admit to you right now that I am a sinner. I believe that you came to die for me on a cross. Please forgive me for my sin. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as a church, we're going to have what we call a time of invitation. So our, our, our praise team is going to lead us uh, in a song of invitation. I'm going to be standing here at the front. If you'd like to come and pray with me about anything, you can. If you want to talk about salvation, you want to talk about uh, being used of God, you want to talk about whatever else the Lord may have laid on your heart, this is the opportunity we want to give you to do that. But don't leave today without taking that burden off. It's, it's God's desire is not for you to carry that around. It's to lay it at the altar. So let's sing.